wherever you go. And that identity does not change. Mm. Okay? If you want to have an identity, that identity must be fixed, not changeable. It's a belief and values. You only change it if you find out that you've got the wrong belief or you've got the wrong values and you adjust yourself at least to take this away with you. Let's repeat first and foremost. Me, in front of Allah, I have to know who I am first to myself before I show others. I'm not asked to show others. I'm going to repeat that. Islam did not make a requirement. Okay, you've got to look decent and modest. And you've got to look within a humble way, not the type that just does something bizarre to stand out and show off with it, and nothing that copies people who are known to be, for so example, like the gangster look. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome to the Fedigan podcast. Once again, we've got Sheikh Bilal again, our uh, best guest so far. Um, well, views wise, we're going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> so, That's um, um, My pleasure, bro. Zakalah for coming on again. Um, I wanted to, because our topic today, we wanted to focus on identity, especially Islamic identity. I wanted to start off because we can go, what is identity? What is an identity? I wanted to start off by asking you, Sheikh Bilal, who are you as a person? How would you define yourself? Bismillah, alhamdulillah, salatu wassalamu ala rasulillah. First of all, it's my pleasure to be here. I'm here for all my young brothers and sisters, whatever can help, inshallah, in the helping to advance Muslims and, and even non-Muslims, all people, into that which is good, inshallah. I'm, I'd, lo- I'd love to be part of it. Well, um, ya akhi suhail, habibi. Uh, okay, let, let me give, a, first of all, a, a, a quick introduction to identity before I answer that question because some people if I just answer the question they might not know where I'm coming from 100% I just want some misconceptions need to be uh, explained and clarified and this is from me mixing with a lot of youth the the very religious to the non-religious to everything in between the first thing I want to say is I encourage my young brothers and sisters to really educate themselves educate themselves about the place they're living in. Educate, for, we're in Australia right now, and in any part of the world, you live there, you're a citizen of that place, your nationality is of that place, you live there, or maybe you were born there, or a descendant, or you migrated there, or you're a native there, you're an indigenous person, it doesn't really matter what it is. I advise my brothers and sisters, especially the Muslims, to read about what it means to have, to, to be an, to have a nationality of such and such. What does it mean to that country? Legally, what does it mean? Read about it. And secondly, learn what citizenship means. What does it mean that you are a citizen of a country? And then learn about what Islam says about nationality and belonging as a member to a particular country or a nationality. So the first thing I want to say is if you ask me what is my identity, without a doubt, without hesitation, my first answer would be my identity is Islamic. I'm a Muslim, first and foremost. And identity, like the general, the, the, the fundamental identity of a person, are two things. Remember them. Belief and values. That's what governs you. Inside your heart, you believe in it. And here, these are the values that you follow. And then you practice them to the best of your ability. What identifies you and shapes you and makes you who you are 
I'm going to leave nationality and country and all that aside for now. Who are you universally wherever you go? Whether you're in Australia, in America, in Lebanon, which is my ethnic background, you're in China, you're in Antarctica, you're on the moon. You have a, a constant identity wherever you go. And that identity does not change. Mm. Okay? If you want to have an identity, that identity must be fixed, not changeable. It's a belief and values. You only change it if you find out that you've got the wrong belief or you've got the wrong values and you adjust yourself. And this is based on the Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He said, Sunnatullahi. Allah has created this world in a particular sunnah. Sunnah means it's in a particular way, uh, an order, a, a natural way. You know, like the sun and the moon travel in a particular way. You can't change it. There are orders in this life. You do this, there are consequences. You know, you don't change it. And whoever studies it can be confident that they're not going to get a different answer. For example, you know, you do this, this is the consequence. That's how life is. Mm-hmm. All right? Remember, because we're in Australia, do you remember the story of Ned Kelly? Yeah. yeah. Ned yeah. Kelly is an icon in Australia, For even sure, though he was a yeah. thief, right? <laughs> it was a thief yeah. of Rob Banks. Yeah. But uh, Ned Kelly said a statement which, which Aussies say, such is life. Yeah. Such is life. The reason he said such is life, that, that's, that's a correct statement. Such is life. Nobody can deny what life is, right? Such is life. It is what it is. Yeah. That's in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Sunnat Allahi. You will not find anything in the nature of the world the way that God created it. Any change, any diversion, nobody can change it. So, there is an order in this world. and Allah Now, Islam is a natural religion. And the word religion is not even the correct word in, in Arabic, to be honest with you. Mm. It's just the word we use because there's no better word in English for it. But it's a way of life. It's an, it's an identity inside here and here. Islam is a natural religion. It goes with the way of life that Allah has created. A lot of, even some Muslims don't know this, right? Is it a character? It, it involves a character, values and beliefs. No, the sunnah, the way of life, yeah. it's natural religion. Fitra. It goes fitra. Yeah, okay, fitra. the word is fitra. You're right, you're right. Yeah. Uh, fitra is a natural inclination, a predisposition. They say in psychology, yeah. predisposition. You're born with that natural instinct, okay? Islam fits with that. Okay, it fits with your modesty and your shyness and your feelings and your emotions. And, you know, when you say, that makes sense. Islam is here to make things make sense, inshallah. Now, I would say I'm a Muslim and that is my identity. What governs what I do in my life and my goals, right? Even who I marry and how I treat them, how I treat my children, my family, the job that I take, the school that I go to, for example. Uh, um, anywhere I travel, my friends, um, my animals, my pets, everything in life, nature, I first look at that fundamental identity of mine. What is it? My fundamental beliefs and values. Where do I get them from? I have to have a source. Hmm. What, just I make them up? Yeah, if yeah. I make them up, that's going to always change. Yeah. If I'm going to go to a textbook or someone authored it, that's their opinion, it's going to change again. Mm. right? If I'm going to base it on human opinion, it's always going to change, isn't it? Your values always change yeah. with humans if you leave it just yeah. to us. Yeah. Because yep. we're, we're people full of emotions and desires. Isn't that correct? Yeah, 100%. 100%. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَخُلِقَ الْإِنسَانُ ضَعِيفَ Human beings were created weak because they follow, the emotions and desires do play a big role. Anyway, that's the fundamental, that's the basis for me. Now, is it wrong therefore to say, if somebody asks me, are you Australian? What do you think? Can I say I'm Australian? Yeah. yeah. Okay. What about if you're in Lebanon? Can you say I'm Lebanese? 100%. Yeah. 
Now I've met some some of our young brothers and sisters. They don't know what to say with this. If they if they say I'm Australian, they might think I'm betraying my religion. But if you ask them, are you Lebanese or are you Turkish or are you Indian? Or they say, yeah, I'm Lebanese. But Lebanon is a secular country too. It's not a Muslim government. But obviously, Lebanon or if you're from China or India originally, your parents migrated, you're a descendant or you came from there. That's your ethnicity. That's your ethnic background. Yeah. If I say I'm Australian, in Islam, it doesn't mean that you have given up your beliefs and values at all. No. In fact, I'll tell you something. In Islam and throughout Islamic history and in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, this was very praiseworthy. Bilal, the what? Bilal radiallahu anhu. What was he? Was Bilal the Ethiopian. Mm. Bilal al-Habashi. Till today we call him Bilal uh, al-Habashi. Salman al-Farisi. Salman al-Farisi, the Persian. Uh, Salman in the end changed it to Salman, son of Adam. Yeah. Okay. Or Salman, the son of Islam. But, but it's optional. He changed it around. Even with Salman changing it around did not affect his beliefs and values. You can play around with it. Rasul Sallallahu used to say, May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be with our brothers and sisters, the Yemenis from Yemen. They're Muslims in Yemen. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for example, Suhaib al Rumi, Suhaib the Roman. He wasn't Roman, he was actually an Arab, but the Muslims found him as a captive among the Romans. Right, and then he ended up a slave with the Arab uh, Meccans, and then the Muslim, and he embraced Islam, and, and the Muslims helped to free him and became. But he always stayed um, Suhaib al Rumi. He's not even a Roman. But He's that's not from he was, Byzantium. That's what he was identified with. Identified with. Yeah. I can give so many examples. Other scholars that came after him, such as Imam al Bukhari. Al Bukhara is a, a place in Azerbaijan, up in modern day Russia, somewhere around those areas. Yeah. Al Nasai, Al Imam al Nasai. Al Nasai is a place. Yeah. Now, so this is the misconception here. Saying I am Australian or my nationality is Australian or my nationality is Lebanese or my nationality, this does not contradict your religion or your belief. It has nothing to do with it. Yeah. Islam does not have a nationality or a citizenship or a tribe or a colour or, or a race. If you start doing that, it's as if you're saying Islam is a nationality. And wallahi, I was once giving a talk and I see this little boy, he's about seven years old, his father's sitting among us, and I'm giving a talk, and uh, I asked them, you know, what's your nationality? He said, Muslim. <laughs> I go, what's the nationality of everyone else? He goes, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't tell the difference about Australian and uh, Lebanese or Muslim Christian. His father said, uh, he goes, that's not a nationality, imbecile. <laughs> 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 Funny man. Uh, but, we need to educate ourselves. There's a difference. Yeah. So when I say I'm Australian, it means my nationality, mm. my place where I was born, the place where I live. This is called a fitra again. Mm. Fitra means, you know, when you're born somewhere, you've got memories there. You remember your family there. It doesn't matter how nice or ugly that place is. Some people, they were born in a shack in some really ugly place somewhere in, around the world. Give them a palace and their heart will still yeah. long for that place. I have a quick story on that. I remember hearing something from someone speaking about the whole idea of fitra, and he was saying that, like, in terms of like with the ayah "Alastu bi Rabbikum," like, who is your Lord? You know what I mean? That was instilled with us before we were even created. 
You know what I mean? And then he's in the Quran, correct? In the Quran, and then he was speaking about the whole idea of he was giving an analogy for fitra and fitra being like a teddy bear that's caught dust in the bottom of your attic. You know what I mean? And you might not resonate with it, like at not the bottom basement or whatever. Um, either way it goes, you might not resonate with it now when later on you become a 30 year old who's working and blah blah blah. But he goes, later on, tell that person to go to that basement, mm. let's say it's their family house, and go to that room, unclog all this garbage that's on top of it, and get to the teddy bear. And when you get to that teddy bear, he unlocks it, and he thinks of all the memories he was as a child and all that kind of stuff. And the teddy bear being a representation of fitra. You know what I mean? And exactly. fitra is instilled within all of us. As much as far as you go as far as you go away from it in terms of you go up in the world, down in the world or whatever, it's always still gonna be there. So know? fitra is a predisposition that God had created every human, Muslim, non Muslim, from the moment they're born they have this instinct. Yeah. And one of them is your emotions connect to your experiences. Okay? And that's a fitra thing. So if somebody asks me, What are you? Why you identify as I say, I'm a Muslim. But if somebody says, are you Australian? He says, I am Australian. I am Australian. My ethnicity is Arab. That's my ethnicity. That's the origin. Yeah. My origin is Arabic. That's my ethnicity. That's my bloodline. But I'm an Australian. Depends on your intention now. Some people, if they say, I am Australian, I am American, I am Lebanese, I am, it depends on the intention now. Allah knows your intention. If I say, I am Australian in the sense that it comes before my religion, it becomes before Allah's commands and prohibitions, then that is uh, what we call shirk. Shirk means I am, I am placing someone or something above God, above Allah. But Australia itself doesn't call itself a religion or a belief system. When you say I'm Australian, my nationality is Australian, my citizenship, they, they say you've got freedom of religion. That's in the constitution, that's in our laws. When you become, whether you acquire it by descent or you, 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 you were born here, they say it means the values of, of Australians is that you have freedom of religion. You know, you don't you can't force people to take on religion. You can't force people to get out of religion, and you give them freedom. Alhamdulillah, we build our mosques, we build people, build their churches and synagogues and everything. Right? We pray. Alhamdulillah, you get to wear the hijab, you get to pray in public, you get to fast, and they give you that support. So when somebody says, "Oh, Australian," means I'm, oh, I'm contradicting my my own identity and my beliefs. No, you're not. Mm. You're not. But if your intention is that I'm an Australian as a religion. And it sounds silly because it's even in just the Australian society and, and law, it doesn't mean that. Yeah. And also Islamically, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that at all. What, uh, happens, what happens if you're more proud? Because sometimes it's, you don't want to stand out saying, I'm Muslim. Like when you go to a, a new football club or sports club or you go to a new school, you don't want to stand there and say, I'm the Muslim guy. You know, especially if you have a name that like maybe Suhail or Ashraf, it doesn't sound like Muhammad. Correct. So it's like, what happens if you're more proud of being Lebanese or South African or Australian? You yeah. just say that instead of portraying I'm Muslim yep. first. Yep. Now, like, that's a good question. And alhamdulillah, they answered. I just want to get the definitions right. So first of all, your nationality is Australian means you're an inhab inhabitant of this place. This is where you live. This is where you reside. This is where you remember your life. It also could mean your ethnicity. Some people say, what is your nationality? You say, my ethnicity. To some people, psychologically, that's what it means. But saying you're an Australian overseas internationally gives you rights and protection. So when I go to Lebanon, I go in with an Australian passport. They say, your nationality is Australian. Therefore, now I know that I'm going to be protected by the Australian consulate and government if anything goes wrong. You know, it just means that when I'm overseas, I get to have that security, inshallah. Or you're, you belong to Lebanon or whatever. But your question is really good. So, and so hey, you asked me... 
basically your question was I understood is what do I see myself as? What is my identity? Yeah. The fact that you specified that question, I'm going to tell you I see myself, my identity, my beliefs and values are Islam. Yeah. Because you asked me that question. Yeah. But I don't go up to you and someone says, hey, so, you know, um, what are you? You know, I like your accent. What are you? I'm, I'm Muslim. Yeah, yeah you I'm Muslim. Say that. No, you don't have to say that. Yeah, no, you yeah. say, oh, I'm, I'm Australian. Oh, is that your nationality? I was born here. Okay, yeah, I'm Australian. You don't have to say I'm Muslim. Go out of your way and... and yeah. That's yeah, a bit yeah. too much, Start right? Reaching. You don't have to do that at all. It's not a requirement for you to go around and tell people, my identity is first Islam, then <laughs> this, then that. Number one, there is only one God and none other. <laughs> like the they didn't really ask you that question. They're not really trying to uh, debate you on this. It's just a very, yeah. you know how Australians are, they're very laid back, in your face type of people, very honest. You yeah. know, the, even if they swear a lot, they're honest in their swearing. It's just how they are. Yeah, so they're saying, so, you know, where do you come from? So, oh, my ethnicity is Lebanese. Oh, yeah, okay. Born here. Yeah, I was born here. I'm Australian. Yeah. You know, it's nothing wrong with it. Be, be cool. Be chill with that. And if you feel that, uh, try and understand what they're asking you. So, just to clarify, what you're saying is identity is separating the place that you inhabit. It's actually the things that you, um, that you believe and, and the way you live your life. So, basically, right. the things that. Your beliefs and values that you stand yeah. by. So, um, for example, yeah. Um, there's times where, like, you, you know, you hit a crossroads, for example, yeah? And a lot of times people don't understand the context of what's going on. Mm. Basically, like, for example, like you're saying, if you're overseas, someone who asks you, oh, wh where are you from? You know, you're not going to sound from Islam. You know what I mean? Yeah. Come on, let's no, be you honest. Don't that's yeah, a very, that's you exactly. You, you don't sound say from that. Islam. It's contextual, bro. You've got you exactly. you to you be a bit smart about it. So if you're looking at the situation and someone's actually like, I need to know where your passport is. Oh, it's from. Uh, ask Allah. Like, come on, bro. Yeah, exactly. Use your brain, man. Exactly. Islam is not a nationality or anything like that. Um, like I saw, I saw some. Sometimes you see on the news people, uh, news reporters interviewing Muslims on the street, or yeah. and they ask them, "Do you consider yourself Australian?" The answer is yes. Yeah. You know, I don't mean Australian as in it's my belief system. They know that. And when and when that ref news reporter whoever's asking you, they don't mean what's your religion, what do you believe in? Yeah. Are you Australian? Yes, I'm Australian. That's my nationality. Okay. So if I answer, I say I am Muslim first. Um, number one, that's not the question. Yeah. No one's <laughs> arguing with you that you're a Muslim. Yeah. Number two, uh, Islam Muslim is not a nationality or a place where you were born in. Yeah. And I have heard Muslims mix that up like that little kid. Mm -hmm. Thinking, I was born in Muslim. I was born in Islam. How, yeah. how about the idea where it's like, Australia is a Muslim country. Yeah. And a lot of us, our parents came here, or our grandparents came here. So it's like, we're not supposed to be in a Muslim country, in a non-Muslim country. Yeah. We, our goal is to go back home and make back home, you know, at least more safe. Because a lot of us left because of war or tough times. So how about that kind of thing? Where it's like, this isn't actually my home. That's a good question. You know, so where is your homeland? Look, in Australia, in Australia, there is um, a very good... In Australia, if you ask what is the, what is the Australian identity, what is it? Vegemite. They yeah. actually, no one can give you a definite it's answer. It's a multicultural country, that's why. It yeah. is, and that is a multicultural, yeah. and that's what Australia is, is, is developing and, and progressing towards, and that's a very good thing. Mm. And uh, you've, got, you've got, hold on, I've got this really nice... Oh, here it is. There's, there's this guy named Ruth Morgan, a senior researcher um, fellow from Monash University Shout in the School Monash. of Philosophical, Historical and International Studies. It's a big name. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, uh, 
I think national identity, like so many ways that we like to think about ourselves, is very much a generalization of a particular moment. I think different groups would have different senses of national identity. And I think it means different things to different people. So it's a very slippery topic to try and pin pin it down. Another professor goes, we are too diverse. You know, the idea of national identity as an abstract and ever-changing concept is not lost on cautions that trying um, that trying to define it is both problematic and self-serving. And he says that there's no, you know, and another lady speaks and says, you know, we have values and stuff, but we don't really see it in our society. And it's always changing, so you can't really pinpoint it. It would be unfair to say that. So that's why we say Islam is not changeable, so I have my beliefs and values there. But um, our parents saying we want to go back to our homeland, our home country, that's all in perspective. You, you, you can say, even Australia allows you to say, what do you consider your homeland? Oh, my homeland is my ethnicity. I would like to go back there because I feel like psychologically I'm back. You've got, you've, this also means nationality as well. You've got some people who like the, the, the Tamil, you know the Tamils? Tamils in Sri Lanka, for example, and the, uh, what do you call it, the, the Kurds, Kurds, for example. And you've got several other, um, that they, they, when you ask them what's your nationality, they consider their ethnic, ethnic background, even though they don't have a country. They don't have a state or anything like yeah. that, right? So you're allowed to say that. Mm. And you're allowed to have that my homeland is Lebanon or whatever. But you, you have to respect, actually, the place that you are, um, that you are living in and brought up in. Australia is Allah's land. It's not someone's land. The entire world is God's land. It's Allah's land. Allah says uh, that the entire earth, the Prophet ﷺ said, the entire earth has been made a masjid for me. So the entire earth is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's earth. Right? So when I say that uh, I, I like the land that I was born in, it doesn't mean I'm contradicting my deen at all. And if I want to go back to the, you know, the homeland, my ethnicity, that's fine. And no one in Australia is going to, uh, you know, object to you that way they would like to see that you do have respect for the country that you're you know brought up in and stuff and as muslims <coughs> it's good to show that you that should, respect yeah. now i need to make a point in order for me to call myself australian now i said that islam is my beliefs and values so what if there's something that contradicts my beliefs and values culturally in 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 the country that i'm living in let's yeah. say laws or the society okay Let's first of all look at what Australian values legally are. This is the time of John Howard. He put these, these points. He said, freedom of religion, including freedom not to follow a religion, speech, freedom of speech, and freedom of association. Does Islam contradict that? No. Throughout Islamic history, we had non-Muslims living in Muslim territories, and we gave them their own municipalities and towns. They had their churches, their Bible, for example, if they were Christians, and they could practice and have their own little uh, courts to govern them They're allowed to drink alcohol even there If that's allowed and eat pork if that's what their religion allows So sovereignty And, and uh, freedom And immunity from oppression And yeah. immunity from oppression, and the Muslim state had to uh, Protect them yeah. And defend them And if they died protecting them They have died in the cause of God They go to paradise Number two, uh, respect for freedom and dignity of individuals and That's one of the five objectives of Sharia To protect Dignity, life, so dignity, life, religion, freedom of religion, to protect the wealth and property of people, and to protect the intellect and the mind. SubhanAllah, I'm sorry, Sheikh, to cut you off, but the dignity thing for me is, is a massive one, because we're in a day and age where backbiting is so vast, mm -hmm. 
You know what I mean? And it's like, I wanted to also touch on, obviously I'll let you finish what you were going to say, sorry, but religious identity and how I feel like the, the Muslim ummah today might be in a bit of a uh, religious identity crisis because mm. we're caught in the crosshairs of religion, culture, and then what yeah. what's expected of the norms of like the social norms of this day and age? Do you know what I mean? So I'll let you finish. Sorry, I'm, I'm going to get to that. Inshallah, just remind me. Yeah. Even going on to the Muslim, if you see a Muslim and you say I'm Muslim, they say that's not enough. What are you? Are you Sunni Shia or are you from this? Was said, There's yeah. so much like deeper right. identity kind of thing within the Muslim community. Let me finish this and re-ask me those Sorry questions. Yeah, yeah. No, no, they're very. Um, they're, it's all part <laughs> of it's. It's a big, massive, complex topic. But let me just finish this point. Australian values. You got obey the law. Does Islam oppose obeying the law of the country? No. No, fundamentally it doesn't. It doesn't. And we have lots of evidence for that. We'll get back to that. Except that Australian government laws are made by democracy. So you're living here. You can't change it. That's how they're governed. We can't come up and rebel and say, no, it's going to be a different law. You don't do that. And that's and the example of these two is when... Uh, uh, Zubair ibn al-Awam and the rest of the companions of the Prophet ﷺ migrated to Abyssinia to al-Habashi, the uh, Habasha, the Ethiopia and uh, there was a Christian king who, gov- who gave them their rights and justice but they stayed on their Christian laws Rasul ﷺ didn't order them to overthrow or overpower yeah. right? and they were given autonomy, uh, freedom and autonomy to practice their religion as as they like, but don't don't try to overpower and overthrow. In fact, they uh, Najashi, the, the, um, the, the king of Ethiopia had uh, a battle with his own nephew over the kingdom yeah. and Zubair and Awam crossed the river he wanted to help he wanted to help the Christian king to overpower his own nephew because he was more beneficial to their Islamic rights mm. Yet, but he didn't take part however when uh, the, the Christian king won the original one he won over and, and took the, the kingdom the Muslims celebrated yeah. why? because it had a benefit what is Islam about? it's about justice, fairness, equality and rights yeah. so if that's met there's no need to uh, overpower and rebel and everything. You get to talk about the din. You to get to educate and teach and let the people decide. Yeah, 100%. you know naturally. Also, uh, compulsion. Religion. Yeah, equality of opportunity for all people. That's one of the values they put. Does that contradict this? Then? No. no. we got a fair go. They called it for all that embraces mutual respect, tolerance, compassion for those in need, equality of opportunity for all, and English as the national language <coughs> of this country. I don't see Islam opposing any of them. However, in the laws, I understand that there are some laws in this country that may not be, that will contradict Islamic laws. For example, in marriage and divorces and in uh, inheritance and alimony and, uh, and uh, other matters that may oppose the Islamic law. What do we do in that? Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Whoever of you sees uh, an, uh, an evil or a wrong or an immoral act or uh, something that is shunned, something that's not right, to us, that's not right. Some of the laws, to us, we don't see that they're right. Even uh, you don't have to be Muslim to uh, to see to 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 not agree with certain laws, but you still have to abide by them. What do we say? Rasulullah said, "Whoever sees anything that is wrong, try and change it with your hand. If you are unable to change it with your hand, then with your tongue, talk. If you're unable to talk with your tongue, then hate it in your heart. Disagree with it in your heart and say Allah's law is in my heart. That's the last resort." You don't go further than that. Mm. Now, changing with, change it with your hand if you're not able doesn't mean... Now, not being able means if you're going to change it with your hand, it's going to lead to a greater harm. No, you don't change it. You can't change it. Yeah. Do you have the authority to change? No, you don't have the authority. We are citizens of this country. 
we can't take authority over the country that's already in authority. So we can't change it with our hands. Some people think if you can't change it, I mean you don't have the muscles, you don't have the weapons, you don't have the soldiers. Yeah, it's a that is totally wrong yeah. because we don't live in a in a in a country that is uh, fighting us, saying we declare war against all Muslims. Yeah. We don't. It's not. It's not Dar al Harb as they call the place of, yeah, of war. They're not forcing alcohol. That's right. And a lot of scholars have spoken about this. Uh, I know some. Uh, it, it's 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 a topic that's mis- misunderstood, but nearly every scholar who I have. Th- listened to in our, in our time and in the past is ample information about it and um, secondly with my tongue I can I can try and use the system that is in Australia because I'm a citizen I have the right to try and change laws and 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 uh, you know through politics and through whatever if I don't want to do that and I can't do that or my belief doesn't let me take part or maybe something is preventing me whatever it is or it may cause greater harm then I also and said then at least in your heart hate it and that's okay you don't have to agree with everything stay at peace and security don't disturb the social order just because my belief if that's the case everybody in australia will it'll be mayhem it'll be chaos Mm. and islam forbids that chaos and injustice and harm and treachery and and uh, you know wars and all that now having said that um these islamic these australian values don't contradict the islamic values if a person is worried about that as for national identity there is no national identity that we can pinpoint so therefore Automatically, when you say I'm it's my nationality, it's where I'm born, it's where I identify myself as being from. I am legally protected by that country, and you know there are duties for me and duties um, that I have to fulfil in this country, and that is to help it advance and grow. And there's nothing wrong with that. As Muslims, we can help it advance and grow, and use and teach our own values. Lots of Australians say, "Why don't you get up and teach us and educate the people about what Islam is, rather than isolate?" And I say to my brothers and sisters, "Look, we live here." I believe, and this is my opinion, I think, inshallah, it's correct. Just my opinion. I'm not saying it's the, it's the correct one or the wrong one. But my opinion is, from my experience, interact. Interact and integrate. Mm-hmm. When I say integrate, again, that's a word that scares some people. Integrate <coughs> doesn't mean you give up your values and your beliefs, man. You just go confident. Mm-hmm. You, st- you uphold and you, and you say it with confidence. There's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. Uh, but integrate and learn and interact. You've got a neighbor, interact with them. Even in a non-Muslim. Doesn't matter. Interact. And you don't have to always be sitting there teaching about Quran and Islam. Just give them a smile. Hello. How are you? Even you can even say salam alaikum to them. Okay. Some yes, of course you can. This Ibn al Qayyim, Rahmatullah, the great scholar Ibn al Qayyim, says that the scholars differed on this understanding. And he said that um, they agree, however, that when a non Muslim you have interactions with them, such as a neighbor or a colleague at work or a colleague at school, or they are a relative and a cousin, for example, or you're going on a journey with them, travel or whatever, and you have business with them, you can say, Salaamu Alaikum, you can reply, Wa Alaikum Assalam. The other hadiths which talk about don't say, Salaamu Alaikum to the Jews, that has a context because the yeah. Jews were doing something, those uh, particular Jews in the time of the Prophet, not the Jews of today, those Bani Qurayza people were making a trick. And you don't want to send peace on them. They were saying yeah, to the Prophet, As-salamu yeah. death be upon you or poison be upon you. And he caught it. He said, if they, if they start you with a salam, they're tricking. They're not saying it right. Yeah. Uh, so just say to them, wa alaykum. And on you, don't complete the whole thing because they're saying poison on you. You just say, wa alaykum. And we don't go beyond that. Keep the peace. Yeah. Um, what was your question, Yasuhin? Okay, so basically I wanted to delve into the whole um, the, the identity crisis, but religiously. Uh, not, not nationally, but religiously. So, for example, yeah. a lot of brothers and sisters now growing up, they're kind of being dictated or we're kind of being dictated by social norms. Because obviously now we're, we're living in a, a very hyperly yep. um, connected society. You know what I mean? Like everybody 
has Instagram. Everybody has Facebook. Everybody has all these things. And then basically, they see people on there and it's become normal to look a certain type of way or to be a certain type of way. Yep. Like, for example, like, um, like I'm going to say males modesty in dress because I can't really comment on females. You know what I mean? Dress code, hairstyles, sort of yeah. behavior, associations, much, interactions, yeah. uh, types of jobs and work. Yeah, like that sort that of stuff. stuff. Like, mm. for example, um, like, um, because nowadays, like, obviously, we're in a, uh, a, a society where we intertwine male and female, um, like, um, colleagues right. and co-workers and yep. stuff like that. Yep. Like, yep. where's the line we draw? Like, w- like yep. where do we draw the line? Because a lot of people are using context in yep. religion as a, as a lead way to get around, like, certain loopholes in the deen. I understand, Yachis. Yeah. Very important question, and I don't think I'm going to do it justice right now. So much to talk about that. But let me just say, at least, to take this away with you. Let's repeat, first and foremost, me, in front of Allah, I have to know who I am first, to myself, before I show others. I'm not asked to show others. I'm going to repeat that. Islam did not make a requirement on you and me to go out and protest and show my deen with my dress with my, uh, you know, uh, with anything that I have in my life, just to let you know, just to force everybody to hear me and to make dawah to everyone and call them to Islam. That's not the requirement. There's nothing specific. Yes, it's a method and it's a way, but don't misunderstand that. This is what's happening. A lot of our youth and older people. We seem to focus on the outside and the appearance rather than the inside. Mm-hmm. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for example, said, فَلَا تُزَكُّ أَنفُسَكُمْ هُوَ أَعْلَمُ بِمَنِ اتَّقَى Never praise yourselves in piety, in religiosity. He is the one who knows who is really God-fearing. In other words, you might look religious to other people. Don't praise yourself too much. Take it easy. Because I know your secrets. I know what you're doing behind the doors. I know who you really are. I know your thought process. Okay. Some people dress in a God-fearing manner, you know, whatever, whoever's used to it, they say, oh, wow, it's a religious person going to the mosque, doing this and doing that. But maybe on the inside, I'm not. And some people there on the outside really does reflect what's on the inside. And most of the time, the outside actually should reflect what's on the inside. You don't, don't separate the two. Some people, they say, well, at least my heart is clean. Where is it showing on you? And it's not showing really. It's not for me to judge, but... Ask yourself, is it really showing on my practices? If I believe in something, I'll go after it. You'll see me. If I want to be an entrepreneur, you'll see me doing everything an entrepreneur has to do. I don't just say, I believe in entrepreneurship. Yeah. And I believe. And you're going to get rich? No, you're not going to get rich with money. And on the other hand, uh, I may do all the actions, but on the inside, I don't, I don't believe at all. What's so the point? I was going to ask you that question as well. So wouldn't you say that one of the fundamental, like the pillars of identity, because you know you said it's values, and I forgot what the other one yeah. was. Beliefs, values, and beliefs and values. What about actions? And yeah, we're getting to that. So, okay. Deen, religion, is based on three things. Deen, way of life, obeying Allah, is based on uh, believing in the heart. Believing in La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. There is no God worthy of worship except Allah. And Muhammad Sallallahu is his last messenger. The belief. Plus, verbal. I am a Muslim. I say, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. I say verbally, I believe. I declare it if I am asked, and I declare it um, without hesitation because that is my belief. So these are the two main conditions. The third one is action. Yep. So now we've got iman, qawl, 
and amal. Iman, verbal, and action. If I do all the actions, I'm a better Muslim. If I do less actions, I'm less of a practicing Muslim. But I'm still a Muslim. Because the belief and the verbal, no problem. And this is where everybody differs with the action and practices. This is up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to judge the person. We can only advise and guide with the best manner and monitor ourselves before others actually. So when it comes to practice, this plays a role in your identity. Because if I believe in something and I really stick by those values with passion and I love them and I'm convinced about them, they're going to translate into my actions naturally. If they don't naturally translate into my actions, I've got, I've got to really revise myself. Okay, I do believe, but what's happening? Some people may be not really, they don't really believe. Some people they do believe, but they're just distracted with the materialism and desires and, uh, and emotions and things that are happening around them. Or they're just lazy, or they, uh, their upbringing was an upbringing where this is what they were taught. Maybe they haven't had the opportunity. This is why we don't judge people. But definitely, when your beliefs and values are very strong on the inside, and in your practice it's not really strongly there, you've got to look at yourself and think, I wonder if my belief and values are, are really there. I wonder if I'm revising them well. I wonder if I'm really remembering them. Am I being distracted too much with other things or what's really happening to me? I've got to really... And this is the core of our religion. Allah SWT always talked, about, talked to us about muhasaba. We're always, we're always reviewing ourselves. We're always reviewing. And that's why we pray five times a day because man forgets very quickly. Humans forget very quickly. So Allah says, pray now. You're going to forget. Pray dhuhr, remember again. Asr, remember again. Maghrib, remember again. Aisha, remember again. You slept, wake up, remember again. You remember when you're lazy? You remember when you're tired. You remember when you're energetic. Remember when you're at work. You remember when you want to go and relax. You remember in your mood changes because that's what happens. So the point is, there's always that reflection throughout our life. But definitely, my identity on the inside has to reflect on my practices on the outside. But I've got a, there's a problem here. A lot of Muslims don't know where to draw the line. Some of them go too far, extreme, and some of them go too liberal and too moderate. And Allah said in the Quran, "Kuntum khayra ummatin linnas, kultu khayra ummatin ukhrijat linnas, ta'muruna bil ma'ruf wa tanhauna 'anil munkar wa tu'minuna billahi." You are the best of all nations that were sent to people because you command that is good and prohibit that which is evil, and you believe in Allah. In another verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, "Wa kadhalika ja'alnakum ummatan wa sata." And behold, we have made you, and so we have made you into a balanced nation. What does balanced nation mean? If you looked at all the religions and ideologies of the world right now, from east to west and north to south, from the past to the end of this life, the end of this world, all the belief systems and ideologies and religions, you brought them all together and put them right in front of you, or you put them on a line, you will have the most extreme to the most liberal and everything in between. Do you know where Islam will sit? Right in the middle, between all of them. So, for example, if there is a religion that says God has chosen us superior over the rest from birth, Islam says, no, don't go that far, man. Allah will choose you if you are the one who makes the choice to follow the truth and act in justice and righteousness. You, you work for it, and then God will choose you. But then you've got another religion that says, I don't have to practice anything at all. You know, uh, God just loves us and that's it even if i kill i murder I, I i don't believe i believe doesn't matter the fact that i'm just god is loving that's it i'm i'm, I'm okay without doing any action islam says no 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 not that liberal and that you know what's the point and then you keep going further until you find islam is balanced right in the middle between that's what wasatan means and will always be wasat no matter how many ideologies religions are made up till the end of time islam will always be in the middle
balanced. Okay. Since we are a balanced ummah, we can't go too extreme in either way. You mentioned something. Okay. Interaction with uh, our sisters, for example, men, men and women. I've heard some extremist uh, uh, views. When I say extremist, I should change that word. Extreme views that even the woman's voice is, uh, is haram to be heard by men. Just speaking, you can't hear it. That's extreme. And I don't know on what solid evidence or text that they are going by. Are these just assumptions or your own interpretations? And then there are others who go even further. Some of the Muslims, they say, it's okay. Let her express every single kind of voice and song and move and everything. And we can see what's happening on places like TikTok and social media. Yeah. The other day, I don't know if I said this last time, but um, you know, little kids misunderstand what TikTok is. And there's some sexualization happening. I'm not oh, yeah. saying everything on TikTok is bad. But there is sexualization happening, and we see that on, on Instagram and places like that, where even you know it's become a norm to, to just uh, do whatever, you know. And Islam comes in and says, "Listen, I'll remind you, don't go that far, okay? Somewhere in the middle, okay? Uh. So you can talk, for example, to a sister, to a female, to a non-Muslim woman. I go to this, I go to this coffee shop next to my house, and uh, there are some a couple couple of sisters there. They're not Muslim." I think one of them is Muslim. And uh, after a long time, you know, I just come in, I smile, thank you very much, and you show respect. Yeah. You show that value as a Muslim, not because um, you have any feelings towards them, but because you have values already and you're sticking by them. That's it. doesn't matter who it is. As time went on, they want to open up a conversation with you. They, they, they can see that you're a disciplined person, you're a principled person. You're not, you know, for example, a person who's after any desires or anything like that. Mm. And, and, and they get interested. They want to ask you questions. From here to there, alhamdulillah, I got into an Islamic um, um, talk. They ask me. Yeah. And every time I go there, they open up a topic with me. I answer them. Two minutes, five minutes, and I go. And it's like necessary convert. Yeah? Ne well, when we say necessary, I mean things of benefit. Yeah. A Muslim is encouraged to say things of benefit. And, thing, and things of benefit also include me saying, hello, how are you? Yeah. How's your day been? With good intentions. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. My neighbor, for example, she's, uh, she's got a partner and a little a son. Now, this is something that maybe some people might think, oh, Brother Bilal is going too far you know, with this. They had a birthday party for their son. I don't practice birthdays myself, but I don't also say that it's haram. Some scholars say it's haram. They say it's imitating, I don't know, disbelievers and things, but I differ on them with that. I think that's a little bit too far, and I go with the scholars who uh, agreed that you know this is a personal thing, and if you're used to it and whatever, you can do it with the right intentions. Anyway, forget about that, the fuqah part of it. I don't practice it really, but... My neighbor had a birthday party for her son. I came and I said, how are you? What's your name? Oh, my name is so-and-so. And I said, well, happy birthday. And I'm going to get you a present. I forgot. <laughs> One week later, I got him a little present, went to his house. He looked at this guy with a beard. He looked at this guy who looks different to everyone else he sees. Yeah. This seven, eight-year-old kid and his mother, right? And um, I don't know if it's stepfather or someone there. They're not used to this. These are our neighbors who we see. His father comes up with the cap, and sometimes they come out with the whole abaya thing, the, the, the Islamic-looking thing. Yeah. I, I shouldn't have said Islamic. I'm going to come back to that. Yeah. You know, that traditional dress or whatever. And they've come and brought this present because they promised. This child wrote a letter to me. Do you think he'll ever forget that? He will remember. And when he remembers, this is what he's going to remember. The Muslim did it. Yeah. That guy who they talk about him in the media doesn't make sense. I remember they smiled to me. That kid will never, ever forget it. And that's how the Prophet ﷺ was. I'll give you a little quick story. It was Banu um, uh, Dumar. 
there was a tribe in the time of Prophet Sallallahu they were called Banu uh, Dumar. And the Dumar were still non-Muslim. They're a Bedouin tribe, they're non-Muslim. One day the Prophet, peace be upon him, was praying in the masjid and they arrived into the masjid. They looked very poor and destitute. They were so poor. And the Prophet ﷺ finished, looked at them. They came to him for help. Non-Muslim. Later they became Muslim. And you could see, they said, the Sahaba said, we could see on the face of the Prophet ﷺ extreme sadness. He didn't care what religion they were. These were destitutes. They were in need. They've come to him for help. His tears almost came out of his eyes. Wallahi. This, the hadith is in Sahih Muslim. And he got up and called Bilal to call the Adhan. The Adhan. <laughs> call it for Salat. No, come. For what? And he gathered the companions and says, O oh, Ansar and Muhajirin. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, O oh, people, we have created you from a single pair of a male and female and made you into nations and tribes so that you may come to know one another. The most honored among you in the sight of Allah is one who is most righteous. And he recited, O oh, people, fear Allah who created you from a single pair of a male and female and made you into nations. He's reminding them that no matter what your religion and where you've come from, or what tribe you are, what nationality you are, you all came from Adam salam. These are your brothers in humanity. And your sisters in humanity, they have come to seek your help. If you can give anything to them. One Sahabi said, Ya Rasulullah, I don't have anything. He goes, not even half a date. That's where the famous statement, the scholars say it on the khutbah. Save yourself from the fire even with half a date. That was then. He said, even half a date. And then another one, he came and ripped, uh, he took off a little cloak and says, this is all I've got, Ya Rasulullah. And someone would give a little dinar, a little something, small things. Until he said, whoever, man sanna sunnatan hasana, whoever starts a good act that everybody follows, then he or she will have the reward of starting that act plus everyone who ever follows till the end of time. And whoever starts a bad act, then he will have the sin and anyone who follows them till the end of time. Over who? Over the Dumar tribe. And they were non-Muslims at that time who later on embraced Islam. What I'm saying to you is let's learn from the seerah of the Prophet Sallallahu truly. Yeah, and one, one very quick, another one. Sulh al-Hudaybiyah, I don't know if you know about this. There was a, Muslims were persecuted and towards the end of time, towards the end of the Prophet's life, they wanted to go and do Umrah. And they dressed in nice, you know, that white thing with no weapons or anything like that, going to do Umrah. All the Arabs and the non-Muslim Arabs knew that. When they got there, the, the Meccan people went, let them in. Story is long. And then they said, okay, what are we going to do about this? They came out and they said, let's come to an agreement. And the agreement was from the Meccan uh, enemies. They said, um, you know, you've got to go back, can't do Umrah. Uh, number two, whoever embraces Islam, you're not allowed to take them from us. Whoever leaves Islam from your side, you have to bring them back to us. Um, and they made several conditions that were really in favor of the Meccan uh, disbelievers than the Muslims. The Muslims lose, lost, lost out too much. Mm. And the Prophet ﷺ said, and what's in return? He goes, 10 years of peace, nobody attacks anyone. The only thing on the Prophet's mind was the 10 years of peace. He didn't care. He goes, take it. All of it. We'll agree. Sign Ali. Sign. Umar got angry. He said, Ya Rasulullah, are we not, um, uh, don't we have the support of Allah? Are they not in the support of the, of, of, of the devil? He said, yes, Ya Umar. But leave it. And in the end, he found out that that treaty, it took two years before the Meccans betrayed them. Two years. More people got to learn about Islam and embrace Islam then the entire, listen to this, 13 years in Mecca, plus I think about 9 years, I'm just approximately that much, extra. So how much is that? 13 plus 9, uh, I'm counting on my hands, 4, 22, 5, 6, 22 years almost. 22 years almost, in 2 years, they had more than 10 times the amount of people learning about Islam and embracing Islam. Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam doesn't want war. 
But he wants interaction with these people. If you can't interact with them, we isolate ourselves. How are they ever going to learn? We live among them for crying out loud. Anyway, so these are the things. I want to. Can I talk about dress code? Because you mentioned it. Yeah, go yeah, for yeah. Sure. Let me say something. Focusing on the outside, focusing on the outside as if it's a pillar of Islam is wrong. The pillar of Islam is belief and statement. Now the practices come. If you love Allah and His Messenger, then you will adhere to His commands and the Prophet's commands. And stay away from the prohibited things. And if you do make a mistake, you repent and try to fix yourself. And Allah is forgiving. It's very easy, alhamdulillah. So long as you stay loving Allah and regretting your faults and trying to fix yourself. I see some Muslims focus too much on the outside appearance. And we start judging each other for it. I see if you're wearing a cap. I see if you're wearing the thawb or not wearing the thawb or a turban. Or if you prayed imam, did, was he, did he have something on his head or not having something on his head? Uh, did he drink with his right hand? Did he eat with his right hand or not? Or she, right? Focusing on the dress codes, on the hairstyles. Oh, a little bit of an undercut, a little bit of a fade. Oh my God, this is becoming a budja now. Budjis, what are you on drugs or something? That's what we say. I've heard some. Are you on drugs now because you got a fade? It's like as if I'm going to turn him into someone on drugs. Really, afterwards, mm, yeah. I'm, talk, I'm telling him you, you're worth nothing. So, uh, outside appearance as a primary focus has caused more harm to our youth. Than focusing on, uh, sorry, has caused more harm to our youth by focusing on the outside appearance. A lot of our youth don't know what the outside appearance is. They might come to the masjid for the first time and they're dressed the way they know to come and see somebody straight away. You can't be in the masjid like that. Don't you respect the line? This guy's probably never heard a single ayah of the Quran all his life, and that's happened. Yeah. Or a sister comes in, bang, 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 onto the. And they're coming to pray. Allah, they come to worship for crying out loud. Yeah. Leave them alone. You know the story of the of the of the Bedouin man who came travelled uh, kilometers to come to the to the Prophet Sallallahu to, to learn about Islam. He enters this masjid, learns from the Prophet Sallallahu embraces, says the shahada. He felt like going to the toilet. <laughs> he comes up. The Bedouins are known. The nomads, they're known. It's very 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 normal to urinate in public near a wall or near a tree or near because that's how they survived in the deserts. Now the masjid was still a little bit, you know, you didn't know which one's in and out. Yeah. So there were doors open and stuff. So he thought he was outside and he started urinating at one of the walls of the masjid. And he was inside the masjid, urinating on the floor going for it. And the Prophet, <laughs> the, the Sahabas, the companions got up. They wanted to do something to him. You know, you know, it, it was very normal to hold your sword with you. <laughs> Hands on the sword straight away. Yeah. Now these companions still learning as well about... So what happened is that they went to reprimand the Prophet ﷺ immediately stopped them. Says, Shh, leave him, leave him, leave him, leave him. Let him finish. <laughs> he didn't say leave him alone. He said, let him finish. <laughs> Don't cut the guy's urination <laughs> off. He might get problems. He might get prostate or something like that. Let him finish. Let him relieve himself. Life is more important than the walls of this masjid. The masjid was built in order to uh, bring people together and give them security and safety. Not the other way around. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that correct? 100%. 100%. Even in Mecca, you want to kiss the black rock, people bash each other, they come out bleeding. I touch the black rock. And even when we go to Hajj, we come back, what do you say? Hey, bro, but really, 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 did you touch the black rock? Yeah, like that's all that matters. Yeah. <laughs> say, well, I didn't. They look at you like... Mm, you didn't make the most of that. I don't even know what the black rock is. It's like your Hajj, you, know, you didn't get the... Allah hasn't blessed you. Mm, you probably got to do it again. Yeah, you didn't accept it or something. Anyway, this... Rasul this person urinated from Salaam said, Okay, get a bit of water and just throw it. Just a little bit of water, it'll get rid of it. He went up to the man very quietly, not in front of everyone, and says, 
my friend, urination is normal, but it's not. this is not the right place for it. And he said, Ya Rasulullah, Wallahi, I didn't know. That. I, I thought I was doing the right thing. You know, we do this all the time. I thought it was outside. He said, no, it's the inside. Smiled. He goes, Wallahi, I've, my mother and father never treated me that way. Isn't that more important? 100%. Isn't that more important? 100%. Subhanallah. So let's, the dress code, my dear brothers and sisters, if they're listening, let me just explain. Let's learn about our deen a little bit. Uh, in, the, in, in Britannica, I, I wrote this down, in the Britannica it says that history of fashion and costumes is often used for rebellion, to shock, to attract attention, to protest against the traditional social order, to avoid current trends and thereby avoid looks soon considered dated or outdated. That last part, when trends do change and they become outdated, Islam has no problem with that. I'm going to explain it. The others, Islam has a problem with that. Yep. We are not required to make a statement through our dress code. You know, our sisters, when they wear the hijab, there was National Hijab Day at our school, and I deliberately didn't do it this year. They asked me why. I said, because we have to understand what hijab is first. What are we actually celebrating? Why is there so much pressure on our sisters that they got to wear the hijab in order? Listen carefully. I'm not saying wear the hijab because Allah ordered them. Wear the hijab in order to make a statement because it's their identity. It's their identity. They've got to show the world that what are you doing? This is so much pressure. Allah didn't order us to wear a certain way or to cover our, ourselves and, and, and all that stuff so that we can make a statement to the world. You don't make a statement through your dress code. You make a statement through your values, your character, and your integrity on your values. People start respecting you and listening to you that way. So, so you're saying like the external should only be like a reflection of your internal state. Yeah, but it's a reflection for who? For yourself. For yourself I'm yeah. not wearing... Listen, don't wear your stuff thinking about what other people are going to say. There's three things I say to my young brothers and sisters. Number one, don't just change yourself or be a certain way to be relevant or cool or a people pleaser. Mm. Don't do that. Mm. Get that out of your head. Do it sincerely for the sake of Allah. Hijab and dress code does not... In Islam, there is no uniform... You know, there's no uniform in Islam. No, there, yeah. there is absolutely no uniform of an Islamic dress code. The only thing there is in Islam is that there are guidelines. It has to be covering the private uh, parts which Allah told the men and the women to cover differently. It has to be non-transparent and not tight revealing those areas. That's it. And the reason we do it is out of faith and love and trust and obedience to our Creator who created us. That's it. That's it. Nothing else. You're not rebelling against society. You're not going out to show the world. You're not putting a statement or an identity. Then I'm really doing it for the people. Yeah. Allah didn't tell us to use your dress code that way. Yeah. I'll tell you something. Islam shuns using clothing and fashion as a form of rebellion, as I said, or to protest social order, or to shock or attract attention. You know, turning heads. Mm. Islam is not about turning heads. Like standing out. Standing out. Standing out. For the purpose of immodesty or showing off. Okay. If you naturally stand out because you're good looking, what's the problem? Mm. Oh, he's got beautiful eyes. What, you go and take your eyes out? You wear <laughs> sunglasses? Naturally. Just take, chill. Be cool. That's the, I, I like this about the Aussie culture. Yeah. There is an Aussie culture. Mm. I don't care. You find that... Very wanna, back. I want to be laid back. Yeah. I wanna, I'm not here to do it for you, right? And even, even what they wear... Like I've, I've went to Safeway or McDonald's and I see people in their pajamas... And they just don't care. Like, <laughs> no shoes, it's no like shoes, yeah, yeah, no shoes is bad. I don't mind pajamas because late at night, but no shoes. 
Yeah. It's like they just don't care. Now, that's that's nice to 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 not care about pleasing people. But with Islam, as I told you, it's in the middle. So that's a little bit too too much because there is there is you know you get to a point where there's your dignity involved and Allah Subhanahu <laughs> loves you to value yourself and there is there is a guideline for dress code for Muslims not sorry not dress code or uniform but dress guidelines that's all it, that's all it is they didn't say you have to choose that color or that color and you have to dress in that style or that style just meet the you know cover those certain parts that I told you about in the Quran and Sunnah and you're okay inshallah outside of your house now uh, talking about turning heads and showing off and and all that stuff. Listen to what the Prophet ﷺ told us. Islam did not come with a uniform, as I said. It left it for the culture and customs of each people. We're living in Australia, in a Western society. Okay, This, some people may misunderstand or even disagree with me, but uh, the scholars, all the classical scholars, said it without any disagreement. Check this out. In Sahih Tirmidhi, in the Hadith, the Prophet ﷺ, the Sahaba said, إِنَّ that the Prophet ﷺ wore a Roman cloak from Rome, Roman cloak that had um, tight sleeves. What this tells us is that the Prophet ﷺ prayed in a cloak that belonged to non-Muslims, fashion and style. Does that contradict Islam? It has nothing to do with Islam. In another hadith in Bukhari, he says, وَعَلَيْهِ جُبَّةٌ شَامِيَةٌ Once he prayed while he had a Syrian cloak on him. In that time, Syria was still ruled by the Byzantines. It was a non-Muslim state. Mm. Yet he wore it from a sham. Again, your clothing has nothing to do with religion and deen, or identity of deen, actually. And uh, Ibn Hajar, a great scholar, he says, Syria at the time, I said, that was a land of disbelief ruled by the Romans Byzantium. And this shows that praying in the clothes of the disbelievers, what they wear is permissible so long as there is no impurities on it. And so long as... It does not represent a specific faith or belief, such as wearing the cross or the skull hat of the, of the Jews, because that represents, or the yeah. sikh turban, because that's specific to their beliefs and, and, um, and faith. And so long as it doesn't represent a rebellious movement against something that Islam has forbidden. If it's a movement to stop oppression, like I wore a shirt that stands out to say, free the so-and-so, or the refugees, or the Uyghurs, the Uyghurs in, in, um, in Zanjing, in, in, in China... Um, free them and I wear a shirt to protest that then that's a good movement inshallah um, for, so to fight oppression but other than that a Muslim actually Islam shuns and looks down upon the fact that when I, I want to wear something to turn heads or to make a statement or to rebel sometimes we have this for example in, in marriages marriages happen they're all lovey-dovey and beautiful and everything and people change their lives because they love the person this is a mistake I say to young people <laughs> never change yourself for a person ever 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 and never put your trust too much in an imam or a sheikh or a scholar to the point where it's it's them or nothing. And then when they do something wrong, they'll disappoint you big time. The only one you please is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, but they get married and then after something goes wrong, divorce happens, separation happens. And if I've done it for you, not marrying you, but like, you know, imagine, yeah, yeah, yeah. imagine you're a woman. Yeah. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> so if I'm married and, uh, you know, or, or you're married to, to a sister and something, are you married? No, not. Oh, good, everyone. So, <laughs> you, let's say somebody is married and they divide and whatever, and then the shaitan comes in and says, "Man, I changed my life for her." And so now everything that reminds you of her, you're not going to do it anymore. Even if Allah Subhanahu wa Taala commanded you, I'm going to yeah, leave it. So I didn't do it yeah. the right reason. Or she says, "Everything reminds me of him." You know, prayer. I'm not going to pray anymore. Reminds me of him. You know, hijab. I'm going to take it off because you know I did it for him. Yeah. This is a problem, right? 
So do not ever use your values and your beliefs for people, people. okay? Because your identity is not based on people. It's based on what you believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. disappoint, whereas Ilahi never disappoints. Exactly. Mm. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala never disappoints. Exactly. He will see your struggle. He will see, Allah says, وَمَا تُقَدِّمُوا لِأَنفُسِكُمْ تَجِدُ مِنْ خَيْرٍ تَجِدُوهُ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ Whatever you put forth is for yourself. Of goodness, of goodness it has to be. You will find it with Allah. Allah will not lose any of your struggles and your good deeds um, at all. Uh, what about the hairstyles, for example? So, you're living in Australia. A lot of the scholars consider that if you're living in a land where the common dress is, you know, you can see the, the, the dress of your locals, like, what, what, I deliberately dress like this today, right? Okay. This is how I dress all the time, really. Yeah. Unless I have an occasion or I have a marriage to do or I'm going to give a lecture somewhere in a masjid, I dress for that occasion. Yeah. Like when a person dresses for a suit when he goes to the business. That thobe, that long dress, that turban, that, uh, for example, uh, you know, whatever you look at, um, it's traditionally just become part of an Islamic uh, appearance, but really it's not. Mm. It's not. Rasul Sassam liked long shirts. Because it covered the aura a little bit better, it was a bit more modest. That's it. It's about modesty more than about the type of clothing, yeah. right? So, a person's not wearing a thobe. In a look at the society you live in, and honestly, I prefer that if Muslims dress like everyone else. So, if I got like a fade, no, a fade, a fade is specific. That's not like yeah. everyone else. That's just a temporary fashion among young people. So, so with clothes, you prefer yeah. if <laughs> so I prefer I prefer like this, but within the Islamic guidelines. Like to go out, for example, out in the street, out in the street, and deliberately just um, always wear my thobe. If your intention is good to follow, you know, of course, Prophet Sallallahu wore a thobe. It's nice. There was a, a brother that gave me this perspective, which I found like I found refreshing because I was always against trying to be visually Muslim. Yeah. Yeah, visually, <laughs> visually, like being visually Muslim. He goes, yeah, but like I wear the kufi as kind of like a light post, kind of like you know, like the lighthouse. So basically, if somebody was to see me out on the street, for example, if a sister or a brother was in trouble, and they're Muslim, then they're Muslim, and they're basically struggling through something, I'm kind of like, uh, I'm kind of like a lighthouse. I shine, and like they can notice that they can ask me for help. And I don't know, I don't know how, I don't know how. May Allah subhanahu wa taala reward this brother for his intention. Mm. May Allah reward him for his intention. The intention you get rewarded for, yeah. no doubt. I mean, Abdullah ibn, ibn Umar, he loved the Prophet ﷺ so much that there was a tree, he used to always bob under it, and this tree was uh, cut off, and Prophet ﷺ had died afterwards, and he used to just bob whenever he got there, and he said, why do you do that? He said, I, I love the Prophet ﷺ, he's a branch here, he bobs, so I'm just bobbing, because it just reminds me of him. But that's a personal opinion, it has nothing to do with religion. Mm. I'm not talking about your personal choice. In Australia, they love multiculturalism, they love to see your cultural dress, they actually celebrate it. They love it. They love seeing multiculturalism, Cultural you being yourself. Okay, I'm not talking about that. I'm purely talking from a religious perspective. I'm saying that when we see somebody not dressed in the thobe, we see somebody dressed in normal clothing, I have heard with my ears many Muslims who misunderstand and say, you're dressed like a kafir, you're dressed like a disbeliever, you're dressed like you're copying the, the disbelievers, you're copying the enemies of Islam. This is no truth. There's no truth to that. Or you're an extremist if you're wearing the... The thobe, or, the thobe or an extremist. Way, Either yeah. way, Islam is a balance. Now, yeah. let's. Yeah, this, this is. There's no truth to that. Now, this brother he had a good intention, right? But I ask this question: What's the likelihood of someone being in trouble and seeing him as a light post? That's that's what I was thinking. Has it ever happened? I mean, once in a blue moon. Yeah. If you see somebody in trouble, you're going to run to help them. Doesn't matter who they are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Uh, sometimes it could be a non-Muslim sister, right? Sister in humanity who's being in trouble. As the Prophet she might not know that you're a Muslim. She might even think, oh my God, I better stay away from this guy. This guy's probably going to end up finishing me too. Yeah. All right, it can work the other way, doesn't it? Let's look at general, really realistically and practically. What is really life? Practically and realistically, your manners, your character, your values and your beliefs that you stick by with integrity and respect. People will love that in you. I've seen people, for example, wear T-shirts and jumpers of people who were rebellious against nations. They caused chaos, but because they believed in something and they stood by it and they died on it, people, they make them heroes, even if they were heroes for the wrong. I've seen people you know, put Ned Kelly on their cars, for example. He's a thief. Yeah. You see, for example, the Quebec, uh, uh, Cuba, um, Cubetan... Um, What's his name? Fidel Castro. Fidel Castro, for example. Yes, he stood up with a belief system for his country and whatever, and he died. And, and, and I see people, you know, they're wearing, not because they agree with what he did, but because he had, he had values and belief and he, he died on those beliefs. People respect. Yeah. So why not have the belief which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives you the support for and you stand by it? You don't have to do it with chaos and, and, and all that. Islam is a religion, of, of, religion of, of security and peace actually for all, inside and out, inshallah. Mm -hmm. I'll just finish off about that, uh, that thing about the dress code, just to give you some evidence, just in case people who are watching, they don't misunderstand me. We are an ummah uh, of evidence, evidence-based. Uh, so one of the tabi'in, the, after the companions came the tabi'in, great righteous predecessors, his name was Adi ibn al-Fadl. It was said to him, wear these shoes. It was said to him, wear these Shoes, because the Prophet, peace be upon him, wore this style. He wore them for a few days and then stopped. And when asked why he did that, he said, I don't see people wearing this type of shoes anymore. Uh, in another one, uh, Zubayd al-Yami, another tabi, he says, uh, I used to wear a bathrobe outside of my house. Bathrobe. Ayyub, who is another Tabi'iq scholar, he said to him, stop wearing that. He said, but people used to wear it here in Medina. And Ayyub said, but not anymore. What this tells us, the ulama, the scholars have spoken about this a lot, that Islam recommends that you dress according to the customs, traditions and local norms of the people you live around. And to avoid... It actually doesn't like people it, to avoid standing out and turning heads and people pointing their fingers at you. Look, 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 look. It's not haram. People want to wear the thawb and they feel passionate about it. Go ahead. That's an opinion. You can do it and nobody will say anything. But to come and say that's the religious way, that's the religious identity. No, it's not. For Abu Jahal, we know. Abu Jahal wore the turban yeah. and he wore the thawb yeah. and he wore the cloak. Exactly like the imam that goes up on the mimbar. <coughs> if he stood in front, and he's got the beard, yeah. and the trimmed moustache, I think, I think. As well, yeah. He's got the kahal on. Yeah. He's got it all. It's the package. <laughs> if he stood up in front of us right now, we didn't know it's Abu Jahl, we'd think he's the greatest imam on earth. Yeah. Isn't that right? Yeah. Even women at that time, even women, they put hijab on. They just didn't cover their necks. And sometimes a bit of their arms would show. A bit of their legs at the bottom would show. These are non-Muslim women who fought against the Prophet ﷺ. One of them was Hind before she embraced Islam. That was normal, actually. If I brought her here, you'll think, wow, that non-Muslim woman who fought the Prophet ﷺ, she embraced Islam. But others like her, you say, she is the emblem of Islam. Look at the religious identity. Islam said, no, you don't base it on how a person's dressed. Exactly. So I wanted to make that point that our beliefs, values, and our practices to what we believe in 
not for the sake of the people, for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sincerely, will automatically magnetize the people, not because you want the attention, but because they can sense genuine, proper belief. This person knows their goals. They know where they're going because most people these days don't know where they're going. They don't. You ask them what's the purpose of life? To have fun, to enjoy life and just live. Okay, where did you get your sources from? And that's when they start stumbling. I don't know. My dad told me. Biology teacher told me. Um, people are making it up more and more these days. I don't know. I'm really lost. It's chaos. It's all an accident. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. But when they see that somebody does have a goal and the right way of life, that magnetism, they want to know. They want to know what is it that makes you You stand for something and they can see it. You stand for something. The moment you try try hard to let them see, Mm. it doesn't look genuine. Especially with Aussies, they don't like that. right? Just chill, be normal with me, I'll decide. Yeah, that's very true. Allah knows best. So with that, you spoke about like identity being like belief and values. And you see how right now you said like people don't know so how can we find out where our beliefs and values should come from? Is it only Islamic or is it from our family as well? Very good. You know, culture, nationality, friends. you got great questions today, inshallah. I'm going to make it a bit shorter now, inshallah. Definitely. Islam came with fundamental values and beliefs, but not all the values and practices of every people. Like, not everything. It said the main values that make you enter paradise and become a better human being in every sense of the word. Honesty, integrity, loyalty, all that stuff. Nobody can deny that, right? The belief in the hereafter and so on. But Islam left some room for family values, traditional values, cultural values, customary values, personal, just personal likes and dislikes, your own hobbies, your own personality that you would like to have. Islam didn't tell you exactly how to be like a robot. So... Sometimes you learn traditions from your family based on where they came from. You have to respect that. Respect that. You know, you go and ask for a sister's hand in marriage and their family come from a different country that you came from. They say, look, in our culture, you've got to do your um, nikah, your your your, aqad, your KK, your katbiktab at the girl's house, the bride's house. You say, I'm not used to that. So I'm okay, look. What you'd say, you say, look, um, you're going, you're the one that wants her hand. Respect that. Say, yes, I will, because you're going there. You're going over to take their daughter from her father's care and responsibility to yours. Uh, You visit someone's house, they've got a particular culture in their family, you respect that culture. If I go to China, I'll wear like the Chinese if I can, for example. I go to a, a, a Japanese person's house, I'll try to respect and do exactly their culture, so long as it doesn't go against my din. So we've got to respect the culture and customs, so long as they do not... Um, They're not practices of evil or condensation of other people or harm of other people or racism or or nationalism or any kind of that. We don't have that in Islam. Mm. Then you should practice it and go with it, inshallah. Sorry, Sheikh. I say learn, try try to ask when culture comes in, you know, qualified or or knowledgeable people. When I say qualified, I mean people who know what they're talking about. And they've studied, they know what to, they've done their research, they know what they're talking about, they've been trained to just tell you the difference between Islam and culture because sometimes we do mix them up, don't we? Yeah. We do mix yeah, Islam do. and yeah, culture up. Yeah. And it's the words used interchangeably as well. Same yeah. like with the things we wear, like even like the turban or the kufi, there's, there's cultures that they always wear the kufis when they pray and stuff like that, you know? So it's that's the right. culture that, kind of thing. That's more of a culture thing. Yeah. Um, and the dress code is a bit of a culture. There's other other things that we do. Um, I'm trying to think of examples. Us Lebanese, the 
What do the Lebanese people do? Um, their culture. Huh? Huh? Yeah, the shisha. The shisha, did you say? Yeah. You know, I've heard some Muslim practicing Muslims, they don't know much about the din, but they're practicing as much as they can. May Allah reward them. They genuinely believe that smoking uh, shisha helps them concentrate in prayer. Uh, it raises my spirituality. What's in the shisha? Or even, even marijuana. Even marijuana. I say if I smoke marijuana, it makes me concentrate on prayer. Because marijuana does that. It makes you focus yeah. on one, but it's like over overboard. Yeah. You know, being drunk from alcohol makes you cross red lights. Yeah. And marijuana, you'll stop at a green light. <laughs> that's that's the difference. <laughs> so you focus and you don't know anything else. Mm. So anyway, um, yeah. So to ask knowledgeable people and uh, we're, we're culture, there is a lot of mixture out there. And I hope, inshallah, you know, we can have more people educating about the difference between culture and religion, not to mix mm. them up. Inshallah. The other day, I think the AFP wrote a, a paper about somebody who um, was forced into marriage. And in their particular, uh, so uh, I don't know. I think they were Muslims from from what I saw. Allahu alam, what kind of Muslims they were, or what kind of I don't know. But the point is, they mix this idea of if a girl is told by her parents who she must marry, then she's not allowed to disobey them. Yeah. And then the famous phrase some parents use is what in the Quran. Some of them don't know any other ayah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, your Lord has declared that ordered that you worship none other but Allah and to be obedient or dutiful to your parents. Obeying your parents in things which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves, that's where. But not in things which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you the freedom, such as marriage. You are not obliged to listen to your parents to marry someone you don't want to marry. Even if that person is the most religious and amazing and great character person, the most good-looking person. She doesn't want him, she doesn't want him. You're not allowed to force him. So that they got this mixed up, forced her to get married. She didn't want to. Unfortunately, a couple of months later, they found her dead in her house. Her husband was confused, was, was accused by it. Uh. I don't know if it was an honor killing or... But this is what happens with domestic violence. It's Some of it's the result of when we mix our religious beliefs with... Um, certain traditions that had came from actual jahiliya, jahiliya before Islam this is what they used to do. Yeah, yeah. The, the Arabs jahiliya is what they used to do before Muhammad sallallahu came out. The girl had no say about her inheritance. She does not inherit. Mm-hmm. She has no say about who she wants to. She's got to marry before she's born. She's marrying. If she doesn't marry him. There's an honor killing for it. How yeah. could you? There was so many. She has no right to money, even if she worked for it. And the dowry, if a guy marries, he's not allowed. To, if he gives money or gifts, the father takes it, or the mother or the family takes it. All these things are jahiliya, and some people still have that tradition till today. Yeah. And really, this is education and, uh, and learning and interacting with each other. We can learn, inshallah, the difference. Quick question on the identity thing. Mm. Um, so, what advice would you give to people out there who like study, uh, like struggle with their identity at the moment? Because right now, like, it's easier to follow like a pop cultural icon yeah. um, that you see on the TV than Rasulullah when you don't even know. Well, you, there is obviously. Ayat and stuff about not ayat, sorry, hadith and stuff about how he looked, but like, how do you identify with? If you are, if you are in a university, go and connect with the Muslim society, the Student Muslim Association, for example. Just going to tell you different settings. Depends where you are. You're in university. Go and join with the brothers and sisters in the prayer room. Look for where the prayer room is on the first day, uh, before you even do your timetable. And connect with your brothers and sisters, you will get knowledge and education from them. Ask questions and you will learn. 
Number two, if you're out of university, you're in a workplace or whatever, attach to the masjid. Go to the masjid. Ask. Sisters or brothers. You've got to know where the knowledge and education is going to come from about your deen. If you don't seek it, you are never going to know. And if you have family who doesn't know about the deen, where are you going to get your information from? Going on the internet can help a little bit, but then again, you might go to the false sources because the internet has now become so bad with, with you don't know which sources to go to, right? Pick up the phone and call some a friend or somebody who knows a friend or somebody who knows about religion a little bit more, right? Someone who who's studied a bit of deen. doesn't have to be studied like at a university. I'm saying like in their life they've been practicing, they had a family who taught them the fundamentals of the deen. Connect with these people. If I want to know about drugs, who do I call? A drug dealer. How did you know? I don't know. Someone Everybody knows a drug dealer. <laughs> the point is I find my way, don't I? Don't I? Mate, I've seen people find out stuff. I think, how the heck did you find that out? Because they wanted it. Yeah. Oh, you understand? Because uh, they wanted it. When you want it, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, uh, I'll tell you this, the companions once sat with the Prophet sallam, just listen to this, the Prophet sallam said, um, before you are born, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows where you're going to go to paradise or to hellfire. Then one companion stood up and says, Ya Rasulullah, then why should we do anything? If we're just going to go, it's already decided, we're going to Jannah or Jannah, we'll just sit there and just wait. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is still, because huh? Islam is ahead of its time, to be honest. And uh, he said, no, you must act because kullun muyassarun lima khuliqala. You know what Allah has decided or what's going to happen? Qadr. Part of Qadr is what you do. Allah has made your choices in life and your actions part of your destiny. Your choices are part of your destiny. He merely knows what you're going to do, right? Now you have to do it. And there is also Qadr within Qadr. You made a dua and Allah changes the Qadr. You took a particular pathway, Allah says to the angels, the qadr has been changed. Because you have some power, Allah has given you some power in qadr, very small, and that is your choice. So, what I'm saying about this is, uh, what was your question? About the identity thing. <laughs> the identity thing. Like in, it's, yeah. It's a struggle yeah. now. So I want to learn, yeah. I make the choice, I seek it. I seek it, inshallah ta'ala. I can't just sit there and say, where am I going to get it from? I get calls all the time. Some people who are from different sects of the religion okay you mentioned shia and all that stuff right i get people who come from different sects of the religion i don't judge them i welcome them and they ask me questions about i had a sister who is from alawi background and she asked me about dogs am i allowed to have dogs and why can't we have dogs but i love my dogs right and i answered her very nicely i consider her just she, she probably doesn't even know the difference between alawi and sunni and muslim all she's known is i'm muslim and that's it very aussie like very whatever right and i answered her questions and subhanallah that made her love they're learning about her deen much more. Why should I have to make that barrier? What I'm saying is that she sought, right? She called and found out who I can ask. She wanted to know. Wanted to know. So, so what I'm trying to say is education. Helps. Education and seeking the knowledge will get you to know and understand your life and goals, inshallah ta'ala. But I give a little piece of advice. Don't attach yourself to one masjid or to one particular group or to one particular um, Islamic society, no. I say to you, listen, be open, be have sincere intention, and um, don't just accept something without investigating until it makes sense to you and you're happy with it, and don't just reject something unless you investigate it. And if you take a little bit of the religion that you do understand, it's better than taking a lot which you don't understand and then becoming lost. Take it step by step, inshallah. Where there's a will, there's a way. Where there's the good intention and you go after it, Allah will guide you, inshallah. And just to drive it home, what is like what is the main reason why they should seek out like solidifying their identity? 
Like, what's the importance of it? Oh my God, it's very obvious, isn't it? Um, how do you know where you're heading in life? What is your goal? Who are you? If I don't know who I am, why am I here? I used to go to Strathmore High. I'll give you, because I know a lot of young people will listen. I want to try and simplify, give them a story. I used to go to Strathmore. Do you know what that is, Strathmore High? Strathmore. Yeah, my, mate's go- my mate went there. Nice, good yeah. public school. So as I was going there, um, good public school as in the education systems, I'm not promoting it. <laughs> <laughs> they got a swimming pool in the school. They got a swimming pool, auditorium and all that stuff <laughs> in the gymnasium. Yeah. They used to yeah, take drugs not? outside though. <laughs> <laughs> outside. Yeah, yeah. So we went there and we used to enter the school from the back and it was a little tiny bridge that we crossed. Underneath there's a river and on top there's a freeway, a highway. So what they say in America, highway? Mm. Yeah, say freeway. So the freeway's on top, highway. And there was a dead body in the river. Dead boy. I was in year eight. What, 13 years old. My brother's with me. Everybody's, all the students. Oh my God, dead body. The police is there. They're taking it. And later on, we found out the news article said that this guy jumped from the top. Jumped. Killed himself. It was suicide. Wrote a letter saying, it's because my long life partner left me. Mm. Okay. My question now is, had this person known who he is and why he is here and where he's going... Would he have made his whole purpose of life just that girlfriend? She became like the God for him because he knows nothing else. Yeah. Another thing, yeah. A lot of people, when, you, when I don't know myself, I'm going to create a purpose to keep going. So I make my job my purpose. I might make money my purpose. I might make any kind of other project. I might make a, a romance my purpose. I might make drugs my purpose. Any kind of purpose. Now, here is the question. Nothing ever lasts forever. Things change like that, don't they? Someone dies. Don't they die all the time? Some family members die all the time. Do people go bankrupt? Do people lose their business sometimes? People get sick and suddenly everything is gone? Yeah? Yeah, Yeah, 100%. All right. Since we know that life is like that, if I don't know my ultimate purpose and I created a materialistic purpose, when that materialism goes away, when my son dies, when my daughter dies, for example, it can happen... My spouse leaves me, right? I lose my money. I get sick. What do I live for now? Mm. See, I don't know who I am. And when that goes, I'm lost. What does Allah say in the Quran? He says, Nasullah. They forgot Allah. They forgot who made them and why they're here. فَأَنْسَاهُمْ أَنفُسَهُمْ And so, the consequence is he made them forget who they are. If you don't know who you are and why you're here Allah, you're living a very risky life And this is a lot of the reasons why people go into Onto things like drugs and alcoholism They go into, uh, they do uh, uh, drugs and crime Some people go into prison They come out of prison and They don't know how to live anymore Their identity now is the prison Identity becomes, I'm a criminal so they do something to go back to prison because they can't handle living outside because they don't know what their identity is. The only thing they see is the prison. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, we have sent Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the last messenger to all of mankind to take them out of the darkness of this claustrophobia world into the vastness of the hereafter. So who am I? My belief. I know that why I'm here. What is, I'm going to the hereafter. I have my creator Allah by my side all the time. That even when the Prophet ﷺ died, Abu Bakr stood up and said, whoever worshipped Muhammad, he is dead. But whoever worships Allah, he will always be living. 
Okay? That's my connection. I know where I'm headed. It doesn't matter what happens to me now in life, what I lose and what I gain. I still know who I am, what my belief is, what my values are, and I will never lose them. Nobody can take them away from me, even if they killed me. Yeah. Nobody can take them away from me, alhamdulillah. I know who I am and where I'm going. This is where the secret is to peace and tranquility in life. Because you are valuable as a human. We have honored the son of Adam. So you honor yourself. Thank you very much for that. That was a very good question. I really enjoyed this interview. Yeah. Allah. No, we really appreciate you coming on, Sheikh Bilal. So we're going to finish it. I'm sorry about the croaky voice. I'm a bit, bit crook. Alhamdulillah, not coronavirus. Got tested in that. Are you crying? Me? I'm just, yeah, oh. emotional, you know. I know who I am. It's got a soft spot, mashallah. <laughs> soft spot. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we're talking about men crying in that on the last podcast. Things as men fear but don't talk about. As my grandmother would say, Yehniel bada tohdek. How lucky is the woman that's going to marry you? Nah, man. Don't worry about that. Yeah, they didn't clock it. I knew exactly what they were but they didn't clock it. But yeah, nah. Jazakallah khairan for coming on, Sheikh. We really appreciate you coming on again. Allah. My pleasure. Um, we're going to leave you to it. Thank you very much, guys, for listening, for watching. Um, don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. Make sure you go check out Sheikh Bilaj. You got a YouTube channel now? Not yet. No, no. But it's in yet. the making. I'm, I'm in the making. I've got a long project, inshallah ta'ala. As I told you before, I'm actually trying to just work out all this savvy, uh, being savvy with all the, the <laughs> technology and everything. I've just been behind in that. And that's basically what I'm doing, inshallah. I, just, can I, I forgot to say something. I don't know if you want to. I just don't want the young people to misunderstand me, to think that I have just given them a green light to dress any way they want and cut their hair in any style they want. I don't, okay, I'm not saying, I don't say Sheikh Bilal said we can do this and we can do that and I see bizarre stuff coming out. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to just repeat that very quickly, inshallah. Islam has placed boundaries, okay? You've got to look decent and modest and you've got to look within a humble way, not the type that just does something bizarre to stand out and show off with it and nothing that copies people who are known to be, so example, like the gangster look or the rebellious look or that look or that particular people's look, right? So Islam has placed guidelines. For example, you can grow your hair long as the Prophet ﷺ grew it up to his shoulders or you can cut it short. You can do a little bit of a, an undercut, right? Um, having, having an undercut like that where, where you show your skin is disliked in Islam. It's makruh. Prophet ﷺ said this boy cut his hair or or leave it all. Uh, somehow, I think that there is there is um, it's just a look of modesty and a look of um, and probably there is health benefits to that. I'm not sure. So it's dislike to do that. And the idea is as much as you can, inshallah, dress a dress that is humble and modest, and you know avoids all that other negative self attention thing. Yeah, yeah. inshallah, in the wrong way. Yalla, jazakumullah khair. Thank you very much, guys. We'll leave it there.